you have your Bible, either a printed copy like I have right here or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start reading in just a moment in verse 13. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. I'm not trying to brag, but I did pretty well in school. I took honors classes. I was in the honor society. I graduated 12th in my class. I had the highest cumulative science grade in my graduating class. I was a Citadel scholar. I was a president scholar. I got multiple other scholarships. But I want you to understand that I, I did well in school, not because I was smart, because I'm not very smart. The reason I did well in school is because I'm competitive. I don't like to lose. I don't like to fail. And that's why I made a decision during my third year of college at Furman. I had taken two semesters of, of Spanish. You had to take three semesters of foreign language to graduate. And I had taken two semesters of Spanish, and I was sitting in the class on the first day of the third semester. The professor came in, and he introduced himself, gave us his name, and then he said, today is the last day that you will hear English in this class. And I panicked. I knew that if I stayed in that class, I was going to fail because there was just a disconnect between my ears and my brain when it came to trying to understand the language and trying to speak it. I mean, if you've got a southern accent like I do and you try to speak any foreign language, they're not going to understand what you say. And so after that first day of class, I went to the registrar and I dropped Spanish. And I determined I'll figure out what to do. And so my senior year of college, I took three semesters of classical Greek because it's a dead language. You didn't have to speak it. All you had to do was write it and, and read it. And so I knew that I could do that. You see, I was afraid. I was scared to death of failing. And that's why there are some passages in God's Word that whenever I come to these passages while I'm reading God's Word, they cause me to pause. They cause me to take a closer look at them. One of them is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. It's on the screen. Listen to what it says there. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Now, did you hear that last phrase, unless you fail the test? The Apostle Paul seems to be saying that there are people that are going to take this test. They think they have passed, but when they're graded, they're going to fail the test. And understand, this is a test where you can't have a do-over. 
You either pass it or fail it. You either are in the faith or you are not in the faith. There is no middle ground. There's one or the other. And the first time I read that passage, I began to think, am I in the faith? Is Jesus really living in me? Not do I know about him, not can I spout off facts about him, but is he living in me? Not have I had an emotional experience, but is Jesus living in me? Examine yourself. Test yourself to see whether you're really in the faith. If you are, Christ Jesus lives in you, unless, unless you failed the test. There's another verse that, that, to be quite honest with you, the first time I ever read this verse, it made my palms sweaty. I got a little nervous, a little anxious, a little scared when I read this verse. And it's one of the verses that we're going to look at and, and the passage that we're going to unpack in, in a few minutes. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Listen to what it says here. Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you get that? Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then it goes on to say, on judgment day, many will say, not some, not a few, but many will say to me, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We preached. We cast out demons in your name. I mean, casting out demons, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? We've done many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Now, don't miss that. Jesus said that not just some, but many will think that they have passed the test. They are ready to enter the kingdom of God because they've called on the Lord. They've not just said Jesus is their Savior. They've said Jesus is their Lord. They've preached. They've taught. They've been involved in what they conceived as spiritual warfare. They have, they have done miracles. And yet when they stand before Jesus, Jesus will say, I don't know you now last week we began a series that i believe is is probably the most important series that we've done in a long time maybe one of the most important that i've i've ever preached or taught we've called it disciple what does it mean to be a follower of jesus and and we started the series by defining what a disciple is and let me remind you a disciple is someone who is willing to give up everything, do anything, go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. A disciple is someone who is willing to give up everything, do anything, go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. And you may say that's hard. And you're right, that is hard. But understand, Jesus never called us to a life of ease. Jesus never called us to a life of comfort. He told us that if we love anything or anyone more than him, then we are not worthy to follow him. And that takes us to the passage I want us to look at today. It's the very last part of the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon 
on the mount. In this sermon, Jesus gave us the Beatitudes, his secret to have a joy-filled life. He told us that, that we, those of us who follow him, are to be salt and light in our world. He told us in this sermon that the righteousness that he calls us to live by is a righteousness that surpasses the righteousness that the law requires. He told us in this passage about prayer. He told us in this passage about managing our money. And it's in this passage that he gives us that passage known as the golden rule that we're to do unto others, not what they do to us, but we're to do unto others what we would want them to do unto us. And then in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, Jesus wraps up this sermon with a series of statements that I believe can be described as a test that reveals whether we are really disciples or not. And so this morning, I want us to unpack these 15 verses. And as we do, I want us to ask ourselves four questions that I believe reveal are we truly disciples? Are we truly followers of Jesus? And so here's question number one. Have you stepped out of the crowd to follow Jesus? Have you stepped out of the crowd to follow Jesus? Listen to what he said in verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. Its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus tells us about two gates, two roads, two groups of people and, and two destinations. He tells us about a narrow gate and a wide gate. He tells us about a broad road and a difficult road. He tells us about many people and few people. He tells us about heaven and hell. And the truth of the matter is each and every one of us must decide which gate we're going to go through. We must decide which road we're going to travel. We must decide which group we're going to travel with. We must decide what destination we're going to go to. Now, some of us don't like to make choices. But what we need to understand is that our life is filled with choices. You made choices this morning. You made a choice as to what you would wear. You made a choice as to whether you would get something to eat before you came to church or you would wait until you left church. You made the decision whether to come to church this morning. Life is filled with choices. And the Bible tells us that, that we cannot enter God's kingdom without making a choice. You're, you're, not going to, you're not going to end up in God's kingdom by accident. The only way is because you've made the decision, you've made the decision, the choice to be a part of God's kingdom. Moses told the people in Deuteronomy 30, I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Joshua set before the people a choice in, in Joshua chapter 24. He said, but if serving the Lord is undesirable to you, 
Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Elijah the prophet gave the people a choice in 1 Kings when when he was on Mount Carmel and, and he was facing those false prophets of Baal. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And now Jesus is giving us a choice. And notice the choices. First of all, he talks about the gate through which we will enter the kingdom. There is a wide gate and there is a narrow gate. Now the world wants the gate to be big enough so that it will accommodate any belief and any lifestyle. The world wants the gate to be big enough so that it will be tolerant and open to anything and everything. But here Jesus comes and Jesus says that the gate that you must enter to go into my kingdom is narrow. Then in John chapter 10, Jesus defines that gate. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters in through me will be saved. Now, don't miss that. Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the only gate. There isn't multiple gates. I'm it. You see, Jesus came to this earth. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died a cruel death. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus was resurrected on the third day so that you and I could be a part of his kingdom. And if there were any other way for us to enter into God's kingdom other than through Jesus, then Jesus' death was in vain. Several weeks ago, Sherry and I got up early on a Wednesday morning, went to the airport, and began to make our way to Barcelona, Spain. We were in three different airports that day, and and in each of those airports, there was a certain gate that we were to go through to get on the plane that would take us to our destination. Now, at each of the airports, there were multiple gates that we could have gone to. But there was only one gate that would get us to the destination that we wanted to arrive at, Barcelona, Spain. And so we had to make sure that we were going to the right gate so that we could enter or get to the right destination. And Jesus said, I am the gate. There is no other gate. And then he talks about a road. He talks about a highway. He said there is a broad road and there is a difficult road. And I think that translation is a very good translation. There's a broad road with no limitations, no boundaries that is tolerant of any and every conceivable sin that we can imagine. This road requires no sacrifice whatsoever. And yet over and over again, Jesus made it clear that the road that he was traveling and the road that we must travel if we want to travel with him is a difficult road. You see, salvation is free to us because Jesus paid the price but that doesn't mean the road that we travel on is easy Jesus made it clear that the road is not easy he made it clear over and over again that we must be willing to give up we must be willing to sacrifice we must be willing to do without if we want to follow him so Jesus said we must step out of the crowd and be willing to be different 
in what we believe and in how we live. And so let me ask you a question. Have you stepped out of the crowd? Can you honestly say that there is a difference in what you believe and how you live because you are following Jesus? Jesus said this. He said, he who is not with me is against me. There is no middle ground. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. We're either serving him or we're serving the God of this world. So have we stepped out of the crowd to follow Jesus? Here's question number two. Is your life producing fruit that proves that you are following Jesus? I want you to listen to what he says beginning in verse 16. He says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And the obvious answer to that question is no, you can't do that. A grape um, bush produces grapes, thorn bushes produce thorns, fig bushes produce figs, thistle bushes produce thistles. And he says a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down thrown into the fire yes just as you can identify a tree by its fruit so you can identify people by their actions God's word talks about this often John the Baptist said produce fruit in keeping with repentance and speaking to the religious leaders of his day Jesus said the kingdom of God it will be taken from you and given to people who will produce fruit Jesus said I am the vine my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. You see, the Bible makes it clear that as a Christian, my life is to produce fruit that gives evidence of the fact that I am truly following Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Is there fruit in your life? Is there evidence in your life that you are following Jesus? Jesus said this in in John 15, he said, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. In other words, the way that we, we can know that we're truly a disciple or not is whether or not our life is producing fruit. So what kind of fruit are we to produce? Well, the Bible speaks of at least four different kinds of fruit. The first one is the most obvious, the fruit of the Spirit. It talks about that in Galatians chapter Five, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that when the Holy Spirit is living in us, his attributes will be manifested through us. Now, that doesn't mean that when we are saved, these attributes will be foregrown. But what it does mean is that when we are saved, these attributes will be planted and they will be growing until they are full grown and there is evidence that they are in our life. And so when you look at your life, when other people look at your life, do they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
not every morning, but most mornings, I pray. And I ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit in such a way that the fruit of his Spirit will flow through my life. And I pray, Lord, help me to be loving to people who are not loving to me. Lord, help me to have a joy regardless of the circumstances that come my way today. Lord, let me have a peace that passes the world's ability to understand. Lord, let me be patient with people because I'm not very patient in my flesh. And I just pray through that, praying that today God's Spirit will manifest itself through the fruit of His Spirit in my life. So is the fruit of the Holy Spirit evident in your life? And then there is the fruit of righteousness. We read about that in Philippians chapter 1. Verse 11 says this, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring glory and praise to God. In other words, what this is saying is when Jesus is living in you, because Jesus is righteous, his righteous character will begin to flow through you. You see, Jesus' righteousness was placed in our account for our salvation. I'm saved not because of how good I am, because I would never be good enough. I'm saved because Jesus was perfectly good. He was completely righteous. And so when you're saved, the righteousness of Jesus is placed in your account. But not only is the righteousness of Jesus placed in your account, the righteousness of Jesus begins to flow in your life. You have a desire for the righteousness of Jesus to be seen in you and through you. That's why, listen, this is important. That's why you say you want to give your life to Jesus, but you don't want to turn from certain sins. You really don't want to give your life to Jesus. I want to say that again because this is important. If you say you want to give your life to Jesus, but you don't want to turn from all sin, then you don't really want to give your life to Jesus. And here's why. Because it's your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And for you to hold on to that sin is for you to say, I want to crucify over and over again Jesus on that cross. We don't want to do that when we're saved. We want his righteous character to flow through us the fruit of righteousness and then there's the fruit of praise hebrew 13 says through jesus therefore let us continually offer to god a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that confess his name because jesus is living in us we'll have a desire to praise his name with our words with songs of praise and it doesn't matter what your musical ability is or the style of music that is being sung if you love Jesus with all your heart, you're going to want to praise his name if, his, if those words are praising his name. Sherry oftentimes gets a little embarrassed when I'm sitting beside her or standing beside her in worship. And the reason is, is my wife is real sweet and she's more quiet than I am. And she would just 
have a smile on her face and she'll be singing with a real sweet voice. And I'll just be singing out with all my might. And she'll look at me and she'll go, I'm going, no, Jesus didn't say make a noise that's in tune. He said make a joyful noise. He didn't say make a noise that's in harmony with everyone else. He said make a joyful noise. And so I can do that. I can make a loud joyful noise. And it doesn't matter the style. You see, some people say there's a Christian style and there's a non-Christian style. There's a holy style and there's a non-holy style. No, there's not. There's just holy words and non-holy words. I mean, if the words are lifting up Jesus, then they're holy words and they're holy songs. And so what that means is that you can sing using a hymn or you can sing using screams. You can sing using a pipe organ or you can sing using a full-on band. You can have robe um, singers in the background in a choir. You can have a praise team. It doesn't matter as long as you're praising Jesus. That's why if I go to a church and they have a pipe organ and they're singing the old rugged cross, I'm singing out loud and proud. If I'm in the upstate and the church I'm visiting is, is singing southern gospel, I'm singing out loud. And if, if I'm with students and they're singing Lecrae and it's lifting up Jesus, I'm singing out loud. Why? Because I love Jesus. And I want to make a joyful noise. And I want you to listen. If, if the style of music affects your desire to want to praise Jesus, then you need to examine your heart. Because it's not about the style. It's about the one that is being sung about. So there's fruit of praise. And then there's the fruit of evangelism. When Paul was writing to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1, this is what he says beginning in verse 13. He says, I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit. Just as I have seen among other Gentiles. And then he goes on to say, so I'm eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul calls those who respond to the good news about Christ spiritual fruit. You see, every time you share the gospel, the plan of salvation, you share your story with people that don't know Jesus and they make a decision to come to Jesus, they are spiritual fruit from your life that will remain. The Bible tells us that we should be having a lot of fruit. Now here's what I know. <laughs> if you've been saved, you want to tell people about Jesus. I know that. But you're probably like me in a lot of ways. You want to tell people about Jesus, but then when the opportunities come up, it's just not good opportunities. There are people around. It's a crowded place. You're not sure how to start the conversation. You've been there, done that? And I have. And so instead of just doing whatever we can do to tell somebody about Jesus, we end up leaving and going, man, I, I, I blew it. I, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't share Jesus. And here's what I've come to learn. I can absolutely blow the gospel. 
I mean, I can mess it up. I can get it backwards. I can use the wrong word. And Jesus will save people. Because it's not about you. It's about him. And it's about your desire to tell them about him. And when you do, he'll use it. So the fruit of evangelism. Are you producing fruit that proves you're following Jesus? Here's the third question. Are you walking the walk or are you just talking the talk? Listen to what Jesus says beginning in verse 21. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. You see, the decisive question we need to ask is, am I willing to be obedient to God's will, regardless of the cost, regardless of where it leads? Are my lips and my life in sync with one another. The truth of the matter is, the church is filled with people who are going through the motions, checking boxes. And yet, deep down in their heart, there's no desire to do the will of God. God doesn't want you to check a box. God wants your heart. And if God has your heart, God has you. Here's, here's what I know. Here's what I know. If we have been saved, Jesus has changed us from the inside out. When he changes us from the inside out, our desires change, our hearts change, oftentimes before our habits and our life changes. When we change from the outside in, through our willpower and our determination, we can change some habits. We can change the way we're living, the way we're acting. We, we can stop cussing. We can stop doing this and stop doing that. But if our heart has not been changed on the inside, sooner or later we're going to go back to the old habits. You see, Jesus wants us to be changed from the inside out. He wants us to have a desire to do his will regardless of what it costs. Am I walking the walk or am I just talking the talk? And then the final question we need to ask is this. Will your faith weather the storms of life? Now beginning in verse 24, Jesus portrays two people who build their lives on different foundations. One builds their life on a solid rock. The other builds their life on shifting sand. And the results are different. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 24 and following, he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. The question is, is your foundation so secure that you're not going to fall regardless of what happens? I believe with all my heart 
that if a person is truly saved, if a person truly knows Jesus, if their life is built on the proper foundation, they will not fall away from the Lord. They will have ups and downs. They will have tough times and tragedies. They will even have times of drifting and stumbling, but they will not turn from the Lord. Someone said it this way once. They said, a faith that fizzles before the finish wasn't a faith at the first. Jesus said it this way. He said, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The apostle John said in 1 John, they went out from us, but they really didn't belong to us. If they had, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them really belonged to us. Friends, a true believer is not going to turn away from Christ. You see, it's not how you start the race, it's how you end. You may not know this, but we have over 3,000 members at Northside. Over 3,000. I've been your pastor for 17 years. I've never seen some of those members. I don't know if they are the product of an alien abduction. I, I, I don't know. I've never seen them. And then there are others during that 17 years who, who, who have, with tears in their eyes, prayed a prayer. They've been baptized. They've been on fire, it looked like. And then all of a sudden, they're gone. You don't see them again. Now, are those people saved? Well, I hope so. I really do. I hope so. But passages like Romans 7 would indicate that they're probably not. They've never really been saved. Because if they were, they would be walking with Jesus today. You see, life is tough. And following Jesus in a sin-filled world is tough. But if you love Jesus, if he's living in your heart, if you've been transformed from the inside out, you're not going to turn from him. You're going to stick with him. Because he's your only hope. He's the only one who can bring joy and peace to your life. And you've discovered that. So four questions that we can ask. Am I really a disciple? One, have I stepped out of the crowd to follow Jesus? Have I? Have I gone in through the narrow gate? Am I walking on the difficult road? Have I separated myself from the crowd? I'm willing to be different for the sake of Christ. Two, is there fruit in my life that gives evidence of the fact that Jesus is living in me? He's changed my life. Three, am I walking the walk or am I just talking the talk? Is there a desire to do the will of the Father regardless of where it leads, regardless of what it costs? And then four, is my life built upon a foundation that's so secure that no matter what happens, I'm going to stick with Jesus because he's the only one that can bring me what I'm looking for? How do you answer the question?
important because I believe with all my heart it determines whether you really are a disciple or not. Here's what I know. I know that churches all across America are filled with people this morning just like you who think they're going to go to heaven but who have never truly surrendered their life to Jesus as their Lord. They've never truly become a disciple that said, Jesus, no matter what it costs, no matter where it leads, I want to follow you. And I want you to hear me. We're not saved because of what we do, but we do what we do because we're saved. And there's a big difference. Because Jesus changed your life. If you're here this morning and you're not sure, then I know me. Leave, don't leave this place today without making sure that you know Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, Today, make sure that you're willing to give him your all for the sake of the gospel. Father God, this is your time. And I ask you to have your way in each and every one of our hearts. Lord, I pray that no one will leave here today without knowing you, without being changed through the power of your Holy Spirit living in them. Father, thank you for your son Jesus who willingly gave his life as the sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Lord, I pray today that we will be so convicted of sin that everyone in this room will have a desire to turn from sin and be a disciple that makes disciples for your glory and your honor. I pray this in Jesus' name.